You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your favorite CCT personality, JTAC extraordinaire, embracer of the ridiculous face, and like the shortest operator you'll ever meet peaches. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. We're happy to have you and we appreciate you guys joining us today. Um, Before we get started, I want to hit on one of our sponsors, which would be Eberly Stock. If you guys haven't tried out some of their rucks um, and you're trying and training for the pipeline, then you may want to check them out if you have the resource to do so. If you do that, Check out promo code onesready at eberlystock.com and it'll get you guys a good discount. Um, I rock the F1, I think it's the F1 mainframe, which is the external frame that goes around it. I believe all of you guys also grab that, right? Yeah, yep. I got that same rug. Awesome. Yeah. Replace so, another rug. Super comfortable. Super it's comfortable. Legit, yeah. So if you guys are interested in doing that, Use the promo code ones ready and and you'll be good to go. And you're supporting them, who is also supporting us. And we don't get any you know kickbacks or any payment from that. So on this week's episode, we want to talk to you guys about some of the misconceptions that are associated with Air Force Special Warfare um, in terms of you know what is it like? Not just what is it like day to day, you know, because we've covered that several times. <laughs> and I don't want to bring Trent in on several. Uh, on something because I need to ask me one question. more time what average day is like. <laughs> gonna lose it. <laughs> so he's gonna go. His vacation had him at a four. He's gonna be at an eleven. He's at like a twelve already. His blood pressure is one hundred and ninety-five, <laughs> which is exactly why I'm going to start with him. <laughs> so Trent, like great. right off the bat, what are some of the misconceptions associated with SR? Well, it's a little too new to have really any real misconceptions. I will say from what I've heard talking to some of you uh, folks out there is people tend to think that within special warfare, you're like one thing. So it's like, oh, you guys are snipers. We're like, well, we go to sniper school. And they're like, okay, well, you guys are like the secret squirrel side. You guys are this, that, or the other. Like we all kind of do a a lot of everything. And it's... um, you know, it's it's the the people we're looking for are not you know the the people that you tend to think of. You know what I mean? Like in South Sea, it was easy, right? It was like you guys are weather nerds. It's like that's true. We also do a lot of other stuff, uh, but like you know, like you you bridge the gap a lot of times between like as a South Sea was like kind of combat support side all the way over into like action side. Um, so uh, I think any misconception is is a misconception because. The, the, the skill sets and the, the things that you're asked to do are so varied um, that, it, that it's hard to nail it down, if that makes sense to anybody else. Brian's giving me the look like I'm the dumbest person. I just came off vacation, <laughs> so I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, it's totally both sides sense. of the fence. <laughs> it's both sides of the coin, too. Like, you guys don't have an upward limit right now, either. Like, you, you guys do have that, you know, not get clearly defined like cap like on what cool things or what are going to become your core skills because you guys are going to have to evolve so that plays a part in it too right yeah. like when people are like combat controllers are like jtax and airfield guys right i'm sorry peach and they're like well what do you guys do and i'm like well this is what we're like kind of start with but like you said aaron it's like one of the, the my favorite parts about the career field is like i need to go do this and people are like why i'm like well because i want to 
and <laughs> there's nothing saying I can't. So like really the, the, the job is really open-ended. So um, the, the more you want to do, the more you can do. So when you came in, I'm sure you had, uh, you know, assumptions of what things would be like. So did you think that you would have more trigger time than you have? Did you think that you would jump more often, um, you know, ride motorcycles and do demolition and stuff like that more than you do or more than you have done? I think my my expectations were pretty limited, Um, but I will say uh, my career path I got like the, the, the trigger time and all that stuff really early on, which was kind of unusual. Um, so like it was, I, I went on my first rotation and kind of checked off every box that I wanted to hit, you know, being in and calling myself special operations. Um, but what happened after that was, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you kind of find yourself in some of those more support roles and that was a, a little bit different, but you know, I just I just roll with the punches and I I do what I'm I need to do, and uh, you know some guys get a lot of trigger time. Some guys are like uh, you know bullet magnets and tick magnets, and uh, some guys aren't. So I've kind of had a, a nice mix of all those things. And so anything like I've never felt constrained by an AFSC or by a leadership or anybody within the community. You know, like even when it's at the two three, it's like, well, what do you want to go do? I, I you know I go to leadership and be like, this is what I want to do, and they're like, good, go do. And I've never tried to do anything and someone told me no. At least nothing moral and ethical. <laughs> yeah, the South T guys, when they were there around, you know, they had those powers to be able to just transition to any team. They're like, oh, CCT, that team's going on an awesome trip or whatever deployment. Like, I want to just head up on that one. Or the PJs are going down to Wales to go do some climbing. Like, let's jump on that train. So really, They're like, going to need us weather guys. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, really, you know, and like Trent's saying, it's limitless on what you are able to do. And Sears kind of, I don't want to compare you too much to Sears, but uh, they are kind of along those same lines where, you know, you can do more than really what's in the job, job description if you're a squared away dude and be able to like present yourself in a well-educated manner. So I was going to bring Sears up right away. I thought I was like, Sears is the only one that's even on par. I think they may even have, you know, you guys beat Trent. So I sneaky. think Sears, they're, so they're so masterful <laughs> at it. You don't even know what's happening sometimes. You're like, God, man, the Sears guy got one over on me again. I really more gear in their cage than I do. I always see those guys like in the parking lot at Herbert and from a distance, they'll look like one of my guys. I'll start like jogging over like, hey, and then I'm like, oh, never mind. Never mind. I don't want to talk to you guys. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. That's sage. Sorry. <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here, pewter boy. <laughs> this ain't your land. But I, I think with the reconnaissance thing, it's a, it's a lot, you know, in the same vein. Um, you know, if you guys are going to go climbing, it's like, well, we might need to climb. You know, we're gonna, we need ski trips. We need uh, to go out there and see what you guys are doing. I need to understand a little bit about what everybody's doing in case I need to go check things out and understand, you know, what I need to pass to everybody. But that's kind of the, the kind of people that we want, though, because we don't want people that if something comes up that needs to be done and, and that person go, well, that's just not my job. That is not who we want. That's like somebody that's like oh, a man. PJ or an 18 Delta yeah, gets shot. That's not my job. Get out of yeah. here. It's like a PJ or an 18 Delta gets shot. And I'm just going to sit there and, well, this ain't my job. You know, yeah. I mean, it's don't my eye back on them and be like. There's dudes over there. They need your help. Go. You're going to be great. DJ <laughs> forward. Give me your saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, I've had controllers doing nerdy type weather stuff, helping me set up sensors. And 
that, that's the good thing about soft that I think people it's it's hard to understand is if you're a PJ and you're out there and something needs to get done, I've never had a PJ be like, bro, no, I'm not going to do, do that. that. DCT. Mm. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Was, wants I to, don't think so. I think I, the DCP, the dynamic Sorry, cone, uh, penetrometer. cone penetrometer. <laughs> I want to go around the penetrometer. You know, boys. You know what yeah. 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 Well, I, I just want to clarify that it's, uh, <laughs> if I remember right, 17 and a half pounds. And a half pounds. Don't forget about that half pound. Yeah. Hey, it is a, an accurate machine, okay? <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, so this one for you, Trent, may be a little skewed just because of the current position that you're in, but are you, do you have as much office time as you expected, or is it a lot more office time? Than you expected, you know. Right now, it's a hundred percent office time. It's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think getting into the, the the career field early on, it's surprising how much work has to be done before the fun stuff happens. Uh, you know, like the first few years, not so much, but then you become a staff and a tech and start moving up the ranks, and all this other stuff has to happen. Um, but as long as you understand the processes and the reasoning behind it, and this stuff has to happen, you know. Uh, you got to get the paperwork done so you guys can get your guys out there and train and get them everything that they need. It's not that big of a deal. You know, I've never been like chained to a desk until, you know, recently for long periods of time. Yeah, I understand. And I feel the pain. <laughs> yeah, dude. So, okay. So we're going to move on a little bit and go to Brian and Aaron about PJ. So what are some of the misconceptions about um, PJs that exist. I'd, I'd like to start with one that I know has been asked several times, and, and I get it a lot as well. Is uh, what is the difference between combat medics and PJs? Oh man, I think Brian and I are supposed to act like really, really mad and start having big opinions on this one, right? I, I, it's, I'll say the same thing. Like, yeah, we have. It, it's just another skill set that we have, right? Like, I think it's a disservice to the. The 18 Delta types, like 18 Deltas smoke us at stuff that we don't really understand that well, like field medicine or, you know, helping with indigenous populations. And oh, by the way, they're experts in, you know, unconventional warfare and irregular warfare. And those are the because they're Green Berets, like that's what they do. And Ranger medics are awesome at trauma. I'd never take anything away from those dudes, but we're just, it's part of our skill set. Yeah. And we train to a high standard, of course, because it's important, but it isn't. And like what encapsulates us as a job, you know, that's just part of the, uh, the bag of tricks that we bring to the entire capability, you know, that we have. So that's how I see it. I don't, Brian, I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah. I don't get super offended about any of these questions that people ask, but it is important <laughs> no, to clarify, I, I really don't, yeah. uh, you know, combat medics are for the most part, uh, basic trained. So BMT and then 68 whiskeys uh, in the army. Yeah. And additionally, they're most of the time assigned to uh, one platform when, you know, PJs are used in any platform, whether vehicle or just on foot type of thing, where we're assigned to an aircraft or a different deployment, but not the entire time. We're not always on the 60. We're not always on, you know, whatever aircraft it's, whatever we have is what we're going to go into to use. And then, you know, worldwide um, technical rescue capabilities is the other thing that kind of 
sets us apart with having the free fall uh, capabilities as well as like swift water, Arctic, all the other different kinds of rescues that we can do. So, you know, it's not only the medicine that we do, obviously I don't want to take anything, anything away from the combat medics that are out there. They do awesome stuff and they're really great at their job, but it's just a different skill set. Again, it has to do with what special operations is as an entity. And we don't try to restrict ourselves to one type of platform, one type of uh, way of doing things. It's always just how can we think through this process and how can we use our, um, the tools that we have available to execute the mission the best. Yeah. I've always compared the, you know, not, not as a comparison, like in the, in this sense, but whenever I'm trying to explain to people what the difference between an 18 Delta is and a PJ is 18 Deltas are phenomenal at, you know, um, clinical type medicine. They're not necessarily going to be great at any kind of rescue. Um, whereas you guys are phenomenal at triage, rescue, and, and recovering people. But I'm saying that from a controller's point of view. Yeah. You know? And I was actually going through, P8, when I was going through PSU doing my clinicals, the 18 Deltas were there doing the same stuff and expected to know the same stuff as you know most of the PAs do. So they do a lot of clinical yeah. medicine for sure. Yeah, they get it on. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, for sure. Especially the clinical side of it. Like I said, you know, indigenous populations and knowing crazy things and being able to do that in the field is, is pretty impressive. You know, the stuff that they go through. So, yeah, it's awesome. If you look at the names, combat medic and para rescue, you mean you can figure <laughs> out the difference between the two? That's, <laughs> that you're like way too far into it. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't start bringing logic or it's, this is just going to be like what questions make us the most upset all the time. And that's how this one's going to go. I like this game. So what's another misconception <laughs> from you guys, Brian? All right. So, you know, when I was coming in, there was a lot of books out there on the down pilot mission and you'll see a lot of medals that came out of Vietnam that were just about when dudes, you know, burned into the jungle in Vietnam, guys would come down on the penetrator and that's kind of what's, what's shown on, uh, some of the movies that have been coming out and everything. But, um, like I said, in the combat medic thing, you know, we do all sorts of different kinds of missions and it's not just one type of mission and it's been it's even hard to kind of break the mindset sometimes on some of the higher up people that have been in the air force for a while because they kind of see pjs as like break break glass in case of emergency um which we've had to overcome and i think we have you know over the last you know decade or so a slow process of being able to do that but yeah we're not going to be doing too many of the down pilot missions thankfully i mean we don't want to have dudes crashing but we have other types of missions that we occupy our time with i had an old uh green beret friend of mine he's he just hit me up on instant he was like hey do you guys uh are you guys attached to like oda teams and seal teams on the regular now some kid that's in he's in college down the east coast and he was like yeah some kid i ran into said that you know he had done that and i was like yeah man that's actually fairly common he's like holy crap you guys have come a long way you know he got out probably eight years ago that really wasn't a thing the guys that had done that really was a few and far between and now it's every rotation we're flushing guys to get guys as far forward as we possibly can so people think we're attached to the helicopter because of the combat rescue shows and you know where they see this very small portion of our job and they're like oh well that's what they do they're you know flight paramedics essentially so that show was great because it helped us out but it hurt us in some regards too and you know that was part of it was looking at that one really specific mission because it played well on nat geo you know no drama it was a oh, i love man. everybody asked me about that yeah Everybody asked me about that. They're like, oh, did you see that, that show inside Combat Rescue? Like, yes, I did. That's not that's not all PJs do. Um, 
So I, I will say that there is another misconception um, that I'd like to ask Aaron about, and that would be PJs and their hairstyles. Oh, man. <laughs> I feel, first of all, honored. I want to thank everybody who's electing me as the number one SME on all things PJ hair. So I was on Hazard Ground podcast today. It'll drop in a little bit. Same question. He's like, hey, I'm looking at your profile here. It looks like you've got great hair. I was just like, hey, thanks, man. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it is if the if the job attracts the hair, or if the hair is just drawn to the job, but that's not a misconception. All PJs have great hair. Like, look at Brian's hair right now. Boom. It's gorgeous. This is after a really long day of work wearing a hat. And, you know, it just, this is how it pops I up. I put in a little morning. pipe hitter. What's up? Yep. Outer eggs pomade in my hair right now. Look, it's gorgeous. Look at those flowing locks. It's the greatest. I don't know what it is. It's, uh, that's always, that's one of my favorite inside jokes is the, the PJ and their hair thing. The other jokes about always having a rope, like that scene in uh, Boondock Saints where he's like, go get your rope then. That guy yeah. was definitely a PJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Well, I'll ask you a more serious question then, uh, Aaron. So what would be your stereotypical, you know, special operator or, or PJ? Or, or the, the, the stereotype or the misconception with that? Oh, okay. Yeah, that everybody has to fit inside of this, like, box. Right, we have right. Pe- we have, yeah. Yeah, we have people from every single, like, dudes that are homeless and, like, live in their van all the way to guys with, like, doctor-level PhDs that enlisted because, and, you know, worked on ski teams in their life. And everybody in between, like, <laughs> yeah. hardcore lifters that listen to heavy metal and then dudes that are straight-up vegan and, like, no kidding, hippie granola type dudes. Like, we have all types of guys. And I don't think there's like a typical body type or anything like that. Like, people, I've gotten a ton of messages where they're asking, like, do I, should I gain an extra 30 pounds or something like that? I only weigh 150, 160, whatever it is. And I think I should put on some muscle or whatever. It's like, no, just train to the, the job standards. If you can rock, if you can run, if you can do the push ups, sit ups, pull ups, and all the things that are required of you carrying this heavy gear, then anything else is just extra. Sure. If you want to get those Hollywood muscles, you can get those Hollywood muscles, but you don't need to really look at um, yourself in the mirror and say, do I look like a special operator <laughs> right now? Do I look like a special operator today? This is what I'm supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you look at a lot of dudes that are out there and they've been in for a really long time, they're not like super jacked dudes. Like if you look at tactical tri- dad bod is a thing, homie, <laughs> you got a lot of strength in that tactical dad bod. I'm a believer. Yeah, dude, I can hear you. I'm right here. <laughs> you just come fresh you just off, came vacation. off vacation. Yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> you ain't been hitting them workouts, dog. We know what's been going on. <laughs> All right. So, you know, we've got a decent amount of followers and listeners at this point. Um, I, I don't mind saying that. So I would be willing to bet that a lot of the audience feels that we are pretty cocky, um, especially the PJs. It just, oh, well, just that is what hurtful. it is. Yeah, I, okay. I mean, so I'm going to throw it to you, Aaron, Okay. on this one. What is misconception about cockiness? I know that controllers get stereotyped quite a bit. Well, because yeah, it's, it's true sure. about controllers. Yeah. So. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, you know, 
call somebody a horse once, you know, punch that guy in the nose. But if you if you get called a horse twice, um, you might be a horse, right? So, I mean, that that perception is out there. I think when you walk on that line, like we do impossible things, like think about assessment and selection. That's the hardest thing that people have done up until then. So you need to be right on that line of super confident, you know, not necessarily cocky, but super confident that you can do impossible stuff. And that carries over a whole bunch of times. And I do a bad job managing it because sometimes you're just kind of, talking crap with your friends and be like, I'm going to smoke you in everything. And that doesn't sound like confident and fun. That sounds like me being super cocky and not a cool dude. Yeah. This career field breeds competition. And there's a certain point where, you know, you have to, even if you, you don't know if you can completely do what that person is saying, like they're challenging you, you got to talk it up and talk yourself. You're going, up. Absolutely. You're like, yeah. You got to make it. Home. Yeah. We're <laughs> going to do this no matter what, cause <laughs> I'm not going to back down off of whatever this dude's challenging me to do. So there is a certain amount of, you decide whether this ends up in the paper homeboy, but we're doing this. (laughs) (laughs) But you, Uh, you kind of, you kind of want that though, right? You don't want somebody who's going into a sticky situation to be second guessing themselves. You want them to be confident. You want them to go in there believing that they are going to have a mission success and they're going to make it out even in the, the, the crappiest of situations. So, you know, are, are we cocky? Yeah, probably. But I would say that most of, I would say most of us are not necessarily, you know, a-holes, but I've been proven wrong before too. (laughs) Yeah. And I think as you, you know, you graduate from the pipeline and, or you graduate from ETD or something like that, and you're just like top of the world because the rest of the guys that, you know, didn't make it or whoever's on base, they see you and they see you in the ascots or whatever. And they see you in that grad shirt and they're just like, wow, those guys made it through whatever. And that's then, an American hero right yeah, there. Like, and then you feel like, wow, I really did something important, but really you just graduated from kindergarten. That's how we always kind of <laughs> equated in doc slash selection to it's kinder. It's you getting into the door into real school. So you can actually do a real job. Now the real training begins. So, um, you know, it feels great not to diminish those guys that are graduating or anything, but just put it in perspective. You haven't done anything yet. And now you're really beginning to learn all the stuff that you really need to do. So whenever you first kind of graduate, you have that chip on your shoulder and then you still start to learn and you be around other PJs that have been in for a while. And you're like, man, I don't know anything at all. So you really begin to learn that self and just learn a little bit of humility whenever you go out onto the teams. And I think, you know, there's a place in time for you to be humble and a place for you to step up and say, Hey, I got this. And that's kind of, I wrote down a couple other things here, but it's kind of gets into, uh, the way that the air force perceives pararescue and really any ASSW job is those guys, if something happens, they're not going to feel like they're scared to talk. They're not going to feel like they're scared to act. They're not going to feel afraid to, you know, do what they have to do. They look to those people for answers and they look to them to be calm whenever there's a situation when, you know, everyone else is kind of freaking out. So you got to have a little bit of confidence, cockiness kind of mixed in there a little bit. And sometimes it's, you know, all fake. Sometimes it's real, but a lot of times you're just kind of like in on the inside, you're going a hundred miles a minute. And then on the outside, you're just trying to stay calm oh, yeah, and talk like, to people. I yeah. hope this works. Yeah. Holy cow. I just told them to do Man. that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, let's try this thing out, you know, I don't know, but I, I keep ringing back to, 
to Trey last week or you know the week before when we were talking to Trey Free and he was talking about those five attributes they look for. I think you're allowed to be confident. You're allowed to ride that line as long as it doesn't affect your interpersonal communications. As long as you can communicate that to your team appropriately and they know you're there for for the good of the team and for the right reasons. I think that's that's pretty okay. I actually like seeing that in uh, in people at assessment selection. Rock on. I think sometimes people perceive some cockiness when really all it is is like we, when you're having a conversation about like the past test or the, the PT test that we have to take, you say, yeah, you know, you run three miles and you have to do it in this amount of time. And they're like, that's really hard. And you're not trying to be cocky. You're like, nah, nah, that's easy. You know, like, you know, the things that you start to perceive as easy and normal in the community in normal conversations may come across as you know, this guy is really full of himself. And when all you've done is reset the standard for, for, you know, your own personal expectations of yourself. Yeah, that's actually really true. I, when I first went home after going through the pipeline and everything, you know, um, my friends would ask me like, Oh, what do you do when you're in the air force, you know, or whatever? And I was like, well, I jumped out of planes. It was a nightmare. I kind of started to tell them and then I was like, what have you guys been up to? And they're like, well, I work at, uh, you know, Red Lobster now or like, you know, whatever. And I didn't say any of those things that sound cocky. And I, I was just trying to tell them like what I've been doing, but I really felt like I was being arrogant by telling them all the cool stuff that I've been doing over the past year and a half or whatever. So yeah, I guess it does kind of come across like that. So this, this next one is not AFSC uh, specific, but it's something that I think we should probably cover. And Brian, you brought it up, um, prior to us starting a recording, but I would say candidates and, you know, operators that have already graduated on the teams expecting to have the right answer immediately. You know, so I I think everybody thinks that they've got to have, you know, if they're asked a question or presented with a problem that they need to have a response and it be correct immediately when, that is not the case whatsoever. Yeah, so. and I think one of the important things about this is whenever something happens that's like that, if there's chaos, um, you know, that requires a lot of problem solving, time goes by a little bit slower for us and we have time to think because, you know, when we were going through selection in NDOC, what we did was we took our mad minute and we stopped, thought about it for a second, and then continued to go. We don't have instantaneous answers all the time to everything unless we constantly train like there's a bleed all right we have instant answers or you know something like that there's a threat we have instant answers for that Um, but a lot of things that require problem solving we don't have instant answers for we sit there and we think about it because we have the capacity um, to just calm ourselves down and we increase the ability of ourselves to problem solve because we can stay calm in the situation and, you know, put all of our efforts toward that. And then we move forward and continue thinking about that. We don't have, we never have the answers to a huge problem right away. And you don't want to go about a huge problem in that way. Anyways, you don't want to just instantaneously act unless again, like I said, it's something that requires an immediate action, like a threat or a bleed or something like that. You always take it just a yeah. second, however you need. And it's and it's easier too because that's what oh sorry, but that's that's what experience uh, experience gets you too is you can shorten that chain if you've seen all of the steps in between where you are and you're like oh I recognize this scenario oh I've dealt with something like this before so you actually know 
because of your experience, how to weave your way through that. And you actually become more adept at taking on bigger problems because you're actually eliminating decisions that you don't need to think about anymore. You're like, oh, this is a no-brainer, dealt with it, bam. And that's where experience pays off in that decision-making as well. Well, it is, you know, in reality, it is okay to have an 80% solution and be 80% correct and impress on. Because being 80% correct and 20% wrong is better than no decision at all. The hesitation, not only is that a, a detriment on your leadership and your followership qualities, but, I mean, you run the risk of, uh, of really hurting somebody or, or, or yourself, you know, if you start hesitating. So, I'm Except off my soapbox. Danger close, right? Can you be like 90% on danger close? Is that, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, for anybody that doesn't okay. know what well, danger close is, that, that is probably one that you want to be a little bit more than 80% on. Danger <laughs> close is whenever you're dropping munitions from aircraft within a, a, a very small distance from yourself. And that is in an extreme situation. So not something that we uh, generally practice often. <laughs> So, God, I'm trying. Good job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> actually. So, think actually. about it, but not too long. Yeah. That's the, that's the whole thing. Don't take too long. Realize what's going on around you. Don't just sit there and stutter. Yeah. So, exactly. Uh, Trent, I'm going to give this one to you, man. Are the instructors at ANS and, and prep and pre dive and dive school, are they actually trying to drown you? Yeah, they're terrible people and they want to hurt you. That's. <laughs> standard instructor answer no they are so mad at you and all of your friends and everything about this day they're already so mad they showed up to the event mad they don't even know why sometimes they're just mad you already have half a dozen take marks showing up yeah no it's understand that the, the instructors are working off curriculum and they are supposed to get you from point a to point b and they have a, a tool set to get you there and uh, noise and uh, feigned anger. And so, sometimes the anger is, is real or it's more like frustration, especially if you've been an instructor for a while. You see the same thing over <laughs> and over and over again. Um, but no, like those guys don't care. You know, they're not trying to hurt you. They, they care about you more than, you know, you'll probably ever realize, especially if you graduate. Brian, when you were instructor, did you care? I really didn't care about it. <laughs> um, no. Perfect. I, uh, it's, it's like Trent said, we're following a lesson plan. And by that lesson plan, it may feel like we're trying to drown you and like we hate you at, in the moment because there are a lot of times that, you know, we get in people's faces and I used to yell not as much anymore because selection is different than Indoc was. But we used to, I'm sure, hurt a lot of guys' feelings and they would think, you know, Sergeant Silva really doesn't like me for whatever reason. And in reality, I just, I didn't really put a lot of stake into whatever he did that he thinks that I hate. Um, but I'm running the lesson plans and by this time people should be jumping in the water they should be done with their underwater so i'm going to say go and then if they don't go you know, it's up to them whether or not they want to drown themselves or you know drown themselves <laughs> drown themselves yeah. i mean if you guys want to go drown yourself fine i mean i'll approve it i recommend you just do the correct strokes and with the allotted time as i give it to you i'll give you a warning kind of so well speaking yeah, I, bet of mis- mis- I bet you were interesting as an instructor because you've got that just just like you just did you're just supposed to do exactly what I told you to do. 
just flex the tone up real quick. Yeah, like I mean, he would just 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 What's make that it real happen. Deep tone huh? of voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the misconceptions I think is that the instructors are going to smoke you no matter what. When ninety something percent of the time, if you came out that day and did exactly what they told you to do, that's my dream. That was my dream as an instructor. All right. So um, I'm going to ask this question to to both you and Brian or uh, Aaron and Brian, but I'm going to give it to Brian first because you guys come at this question from a different perspective. And and the question is, is um, is is pararescue and being deployed as a pararescue man, is it exactly what you thought it would be? And, you know, Brian, you came in as a new recruit and then Aaron, you actually had some, you know, Air Force experience and probably I would bet to say a better idea of what PJs do deployed and home station. But Brian, I want to throw it over to you first and see if if what you had thought is pretty accurate. I did not think that it didn't end up planning out like I thought it was going to be because, you know, the only thing I really had it as far as exposure to the career field before joining was uh, one of the books called That Others May Live by Jack Brim. And he was a guy that was in Iceland PJ and he kind of recounted some of the stories that were going on around that time. And, you know, there wasn't a ton of combat missions that were going on. There wasn't a lot of, uh, missions outside of basically the water stuff, like the Rams jumps, the, uh, submarine type of lockout things that they were doing back then. And then civilian rescue. So I kind of thought that it was going to be like that. And obviously after nine 11 happened and we started actually going into a war, uh, things changed a lot. Um, and the types of missions that we were doing. And again, <laughs> I, you guys can listen back to the other episode where I was talking about, I really didn't know exactly what the career field did. I just knew people were going to get rescued by me and I'm going to have some skill sets to do that. So, you know, the amount of capabilities that we carried and I didn't know about like being able to shoot any gun that's out there and then, you know, have the ability to free fall into all the combat situations, use, um, rotoring and fixed wing aircraft in different areas around the entire world. Like I just didn't know that capability and I didn't know the, the depth of what a PJ was really allowed to do. And I just thought it was kind of more rescue type of stuff when I joined. So pleasantly surprised by, you know, the amount of stuff that we were able to do. Um, Sometimes the ops tempo was a lot lower than I really wanted it to be on certain deployments. Uh, I'm not going to lie on that, but then there are other ones where, you know, it picked up a lot. So, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, too many ops, not enough ops. And I kind of, a little bit different for me is I, I had a little bit of an idea of what PJs did and had close friends that had gotten through the pipeline and, and I still kept in touch with. So I had a, a good idea of what to expect, but pleasantly I was completely surprised by it. And I've gotten to do, to do a, a good diverse group of things from, you know, covering the NATO air policing mission and, and being up in Iceland for a little while to seeing Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa. And I still get to be on the teams. It's great. I weaseled myself into this position now to avoid that desk job. So for me, it's, you know, a lot more than I expected. There's always some things like, man, CSAR, just as the, uh, as the shirt says, might be a uh, come sit and relax. Just like Brian is saying, like you might not <laughs> yeah. get a call for a long time. And there's only so much working out and playing Xbox you can do, like, and so much training you can do. Like, I get it. It takes a special kind of person to get through that. So I think that's probably from my optic. Okay. I, well, that's good. It's it's interesting how, how different they are. And, you know, reading a lot of the the posts on Reddit, on the Pararescue subreddit, uh, a lot of the stuff that we get on in Instagram, I think there's a 
an idea that, you know, every week, every day does change. You know, one week you're shooting, one week you're jumping, the next you're diving and so on. But it's also, there's also a week or two in between that where it's appointments, it's medical, it's, you know, it's unfortunately the reality of the Air Force and the military now is that a lot of the computer-based training is a reality and you can't really get away from it. So everybody's got to know how to use a fire extinguisher or not give their ID (laughs) to whatever her name is on the information assurance. Karen's trying to steal you on the information assurance and no, I don't want your mixtape, Charles. Yeah. Go back to your desk. (laughs) So, so yes, there, there are admin days. There are days where, or, or weeks that, Hey, we're not shooting. We're not jumping. We're not, you know, it, it could be relatively boring. And as much as we hate it, like it's, a, it's probably good for us to give us a chance to throttle back and, and you know, not, not relax, but sit back and not go, you know, race car in the red for too long. That's, that's yeah. just my opinion, though. You, no, you're totally right. You need that that white space. You know, it needs to be built in there because you do need breaks. I always want to ask people too because it's more of a a misconception about soft in general. For everybody out there, how many nights do you think that dudes go out on target? You guys are asking us like, <laughs> do you guys kick doors every night? Like, bro, the pros are going out like I don't know, not as much as you think. Like they're not hitting five NAIs a night, guys. So I, I always think, like, what do you think the normal ops tempo is? Like, I think that's part of it. Well, not not nowadays. Before, I mean, that, right. that okay, was yeah. that was now that was legitimate. Uh, I mean, there were several times that we hit four, <laughs> four. It was crazy. Got it. <laughs> right. Speaking of combat control, right? <laughs> can we can we hop on the combat control train now, Jared? And uh, misconceptions. Sure. I want to talk about how cocky you guys are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought we were going to cover how short all of them are. No, (laughs) no, it's the tattoos that we all want to know about. That's the real, the real thing. PJ's got Uh, the hair. CCT got the tattoos. How many you got? Uh, uh, four. Yeah, I got four. That's the minimum. That's the minimum required for CCT. That's the minimum required is four tattoos. Is that like a complete body part? The ex-girlfriend rule where you multiply by three, so you actually have (laughs) twelve. Yeah, you know the misconception that uh, we all have uh, complete sleeves and body tattoos, and we only marry strippers. Uh, I mean, (laughs) hey, (laughs) is that is that a thing? Is that out there? First, I've heard of it, but I'm I'm in. I want to hear this theory. (laughs) Uh, Well, I can't speak for me. <laughs> but uh, I have known some guys that have gone down that route. <laughs> Probably didn't work out for them, but whatever. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, it exists for a reason. That mis- misconception, so I guess. Yeah. So the, so the oh, bi- get it. The biggest one. Oh, just that joke was funnier yeah. than anybody gave you credit for. Good job, bud. I'm glad you're back. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it back real quick. Oh, I'm sorry. So what? What are the uh, one of the biggest misconceptions that are out there, and that is a, and it, it really is an education piece, is that you hear the Joint Terminal Attack Controller or JTAC used no matter what. Like, hey, a team needs a JTAC, or who's the JTAC on the ground? Well. I, I'm pretty sure I've said it before, but if not, the the JTAC skill set is a qualification. It is not a job. Now, there's a couple of career fields within the Air Force that 
can be allowed to be joint terminal attack control uh, qualified. You know, so you've got your, and I'm doing this, you know, off the top of my head, so I, maybe I get it wrong, maybe I don't, but, you know, you got your control, your combat controllers, you got your TACPs, you got your special tactics officers, and then you have your TACPOs. Um, I believe those are the only four career fields within the Air Force that are allowed to be JTAC qualified. So um, when teams or when people are talking about a JTAC, they have to know what they're asking for because, you know, if you if you get a controller, yeah, he may be JTAC qualified, but he's going to be also have the airfield capability. You know, if and he's going to be jump and dive and all that kind of stuff. If you go with the TACPs, they're probably going to be JTAC qualified as well, but they are so ingrained with the Army, and so they know the Army really, really well. And you want to start talking about tanks? You know, like when we had Roomba on here, dude, that just blows my mind, the way that they, they move, shoot, move, and communicate with well, That was big brain time. Dude. I had no idea. Yeah. I was like, I'm moving tank target, and you're, you're writing formulas up on the fly. That was, that was mind-blowing to me. I still remember that. But, I mean, dude, the, the TACPs, when it comes to close air support, they are, they are really, really good, especially when you start talking about the major, mil, major combat operations, you know, dealing with those tanks and those large forces on the ground, whereas, you know, us... Hey, I'm I'm good whenever I've got, you know, 30 to 60 dudes on the ground with me and we're moving fast. So procedurally, I'm correct, but there are probably steps in there that I am not taking because I don't have time to because we're moving so fast. So that that's that's the JTAC piece that I, I wanted to cover. I definitely wanted to make sure that I got that out there. Um, is the job exactly how I thought? I it's hard it's hard for me to remember you know 45 years ago when i came in (laughs) i like how you only went 45 you're like this is enough to satiate them that i made the joke but not too much where you're really giving it to yourself (laughs) you didn't say 60 years ago either you know why because you're like 45 is enough for these a-holes yeah that's enough time (laughs) yeah but um man i so I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same or if it's different. But I, I do know a funny thing is that, you know, the first time I deployed, I was had in my mind um, that, okay, we're deploying to the desert because at the time I'd never been to the desert. You know, I grew up in the southeast. So the desert <laughs> to me was sand dunes. So I was like, wait a minute, we're, we're going to land aircraft out in sand dunes and just set up <laughs> tents and that's where we're living for for you know however long and i i never voiced that opinion but i just sit here going like i i don't know how this is gonna work out wash the ladder in the brush the up yeah <laughs> probably for the best that you kept that one yeah yourself. yeah <laughs> so that was my my deployment misconception <laughs> truth I think we all had a bit of that, though. I mean, I can speak from being on alert and just, you know, seeing the hours tick by sometimes be like, man, there's I'm glad that there's nothing. But still, you know, there's still nothing, you know. So you're like, huh, I, want, I, I wonder what the pace is supposed to feel like, you know. Yeah. And, and, and in reality, I've been lucky and I and I know that, um, you know, I, I've been operational pretty much the whole time with the exception of the weapon school. But even then I deployed out of there. Um, so. It's, um, I've, I've been 
extremely fortunate with good assignments and good opportunities. It is absolutely right place, right time. Now you do have the guys like Trent mentioned that are, you know, they're, they're action magnets and no matter where they go, whether they're deployed or not, they are, they are seeing something and just, you know, and then here you are picking up scraps sometimes. Yeah, what do you think? Thai Cave Rescue Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're throwing back to a lot of uh, references here. Uh, so I got one for you also, Peach. So what do you think about, you know, the standard line that we've given from a recruiter is, well, if you want to kill people, go CCT. If you want to save people, go PJ. Is, what, do you, what did you say? What would you say to them? All right. Great question. First of all, uh, great well, question. <laughs> well, PJs are combatants. So they carry weapons and they're well-trained in shooting, just like controllers and SR and SEALs and ODAs, stuff like that. So, you know, we, we train and shoot as much as everybody else. Same with the Jays. So, um, I, I mean, it, if you want to really simplify it, okay, sure. But, you know, PJs also kill people. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And I tell you what, you put me on some Big kind facts. of medical situation, maybe I kill somebody. So <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about the patient, guys. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a pretty good one. I missed the part where the recruiter goes, and if you want to just creepily watch people, go SR. Boy, do I have the career field for you. Do you have a foot thing? I heard all those dudes have a hey, foot Hey, you in the window, come right. down here. Oh, I just want to talk to you. You got a future. <laughs> <laughs> you have a bright future. Come with me. How long have you, you been out there? Two hours? I didn't notice you till like 10 minutes ago. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can't think of any other misconceptions that we would have in terms of combat control. And I just think that the misconception that all of all of soft dudes across the enterprise is is a bad not a bad misconception, but it is misconstrued. And that's partly because of Hollywood. And it's just like Excuse me. It's just like the, you know, the the veterans, whether it's from Vietnam or whether it's from what we've had going on in the last 20 years, but where Hollywood portrays guys coming back being broken, riddled with PTSD. Um, I mean, does that stuff exist? Uh, of course it does. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Sure. Of course. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that every single person that has PTSD is a threat or is a broken person that is stuck on opiates and drinking their life away. There are those people, and I and I don't, I'm not saying they're not, because you know we know some, but mm -hmm. you know Hollywood makes it out that and almost, almost to make you or it has almost made me feel like you guys are trying to make me think that I should be broken. Yeah. And and I'm not. I, I operate just you guys fine. Are talking me into it over yeah. here. Yeah, you base you're basically doing the equivalent of looking up WebMD symptoms. Now you got cancer. What happened? <laughs> it was just a runny nose. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's unfortunate. And it'd be nice if you know Hollywood could you know kind of fix that image because I mean how how much are we able to fix it right now? You know we we've, we're getting a, a decent following and we appreciate it to everybody that's out there, but. Um, until they start making movies and accurately depicting people, it's it's going to continue. Yeah, yeah but that's the crazy thing too. It's I mean that's the the far minority of cases. You have to remember that the the vast overwhelming overwhelming majority 
go on combat deployments, come home and are totally fine, mentally adjusted and getting the help that they need, you know, like we're, we're talking about extreme cases. So, yeah. And that's not uh, yeah. interesting to watch. So there's never going to be a movie about, no. you know, a person that retires and lives happily ever after. <laughs> so well, right. yeah, that is from, a common misconception though. I've gotten yeah. a lot here at Lackland from like civilian types that are like, you guys are really nice. It's not what I expected. It's like, what, what did you expect us to be like? Like, just to be mean for no reason like yeah. i got this beret time to be a dick about like it every time a car backfires we'll freak out and start punching people i'm like i don't know <laughs> well, you guys don't do that huh <laughs> awkward on <laughs> the minority <laughs> i picked yeah. up a whole bouquet of oopsie daisies <laughs> what else you guys got in terms of misconceptions that i can just bloviate on is bloviate going to be your chief word? Uh, yeah, I'm going to focus on haircuts and uniforms. That's definitely my jam. <laughs> You're ready. <laughs> You're ready. I'm trying to think about, you know, in general, because we do get a lot of generalized questions, like the misconception that the career fields are, are you know, so different. I, I did, you know, thinking my way through that one. We are sort of tribal. You guys know all seer guys are, they're basically all seer guys. You can pick them out of a room, right? Be like, I bet you're a seer guy. You know, like when we all do it, you know, PJ is the same thing. Why do you guys think that is? Like, why do you think, because it, you can tell, you can tell across the board. Like we've all met rangers that were like, that dude is 100% a ranger. That is, that is what that guy is down to his DNA, you know, but how can, how can we tell, how can we pick them out of a room? <laughs> it's easy. Okay. Controllers have trucker hats lippers tats and they're angry like aggressively angry at you jades are like hey bro hey man nah you can't come train with us but Con- cool well controllers get angry cool. for like the littlest reason though it's like <laughs> the smallest yes. things just set them off and you're like dude chill out and obviously that's coming from pj because i said chill out uh cct for the most part wouldn't be like super chill and then a lot of them get like super hyped up especially if you ever hear some of them on the microphone in the first couple of times that they come on and you listen to recordings we used to listen to them in some of the uh briefs that we did from guys that were deployed it's just like those guys over there, like just spitting out these freaking night these uh call for fires and it was just like holy cow dude well it was the same way in person no it was the same way in person there is the no, there is no place like getting drug at a staff meeting during an intel update because of your radio voice how savage <laughs> <laughs> and it happens i've been there like you're just like oh what up with that one there big Dude. guy and he's just ashamed by, by the way he was fighting for his yeah. life on the radio well i i will say you know there there are there is such a thing as um being too calm on the radio right so if yeah. you're if you're real calm on the radio then the pilots that are flying, they don't necessarily know that there is a sense of urgency. Even though you're telling them, hey, we're troops in contact, we're taking effective fire, they're like, okay, well, I mean, you're not out of breath, you're not huffing and puffing, I can hear the gunfire, but whatever, until you start getting some kind of inflection in your voice, and then you can see them flip a switch, and they are aggressive, and they are, hey, when they said originally they were going to be in in two and a half minutes, and then 30, and then you you know, raise your voice and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, Hey, I can be in in 30 seconds. You're like, well, where'd that other two in it, two minutes ago, but okay, cool. Let's do it. You know, that's the exact same as dealing with students. It's the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. Watch them make a timeline. Yeah. Watch it. Just light a fire. Guys, you can go home for the day. If throw a timeline on there, it doesn't matter what that number is or what the task is. They it. will make that timeline. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that's so true. <laughs> I mean, I just got. I thought you'd be bigger a lot, but you know, it's because I, I was tiny. Bigger a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's not. Who knows? Mm. I think that's the. Uh, I think that's the main one there. We we definitely do fall in those lanes, like, and we gravitate towards one another. I love getting off an air like an airplane and and being a baggage claim for like a big event, like especially like a rodeo or something. And you don't know that dude, but you know that dude, and you're like, I can tell. Unless you're sponsored by the same North Face company that I am, I think you and I probably have the same boss. So it's always funny seeing those dudes at the airport yeah. when you link up. So, But, I mean, you know, PJs are known for playing hacky sack. And I, as a controller, have joined in with some hacks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, will ha- I will hack in all day long. <laughs> and did we just Brian. lose our entire audience? We, we did, Brian. We gotta sack. end it. You gotta, you gotta. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta close this thing up. We went too far inside baseball. Nobody knows what we're talking about. Yeah. All right. So aside from all the hacky sack and all the things that we were talking about, just there at the end, because those things you'll find out whenever you come back and listen to this episode. Whenever you actually end up getting through the pipeline, and you'll laugh about all the stuff that we were talking about. But um, you know, talking about some of the stuff from. Uh, SR, the misconceptions of whether or not they're able to do certain things, but it's well within their range to do almost all the things that both of us do aside from the specialties, which are, you know, being uh, JTAC set up airfield and, you know, being a medic, um, doing medical duties aside from the, the rare occasion that they might have to, in which case we want them to, but um, they can go and, you know, do be pretty much the chameleon and blend in with any of the people that need to get their support, which is what they're made to do is blend in. So, um, and then along with the misconceptions of the PJ, I know we went a little bit more in depth. Uh, hopefully that explains some of the, the hair stuff, the cockiness that we were talking about. And then also the resolve and being able to stay calm in different situations. You know, we have to be the people that are going to have the answer eventually we don't want to hesitate too long um, while we're coming up with that answer but we also want to eventually be the person that has the answer because that is you know pj's job is to make sure that we're able to take care of any situation that may come up right now and then overall you know looking at across the different career fields yeah there's going to be downtime it's not going to be call of duty and it's not going to be like as soon as we went into afghanistan or iraq or just hitting targets constantly um you know that day may come again but right now those guys that are coming in you shouldn't expect that every single deployment you're going to be just mission every single hour or two missions a day or any of that kind of stuff it's going to be you know a steady stream and then like aaron said you know sometimes on csr and that's also you know a running joke just for you guys that aren't in the community the csr thing you know sometimes you're just sitting around boom right there and you're just waiting for something to happen and that's also part of the job is you know we don't want people to get hurt but we're there in case anything does happen and then uh you know peaches we found out how many tattoos you probably have i don't know if you're hiding any from us next time we'll talk about where they are um but some of the other <laughs> stuff you know like peaches talking about is the jtac thing and um how they're actually utilized versus um you know tac PEs and and those other career fields that are also considered JTAGs. So all these things are super important. And I want to 
open it to you guys. If you guys have any other things that you want to send our way and a misconception or some kind of question, we'll try and keep on bringing up different questions that we have because we want to make sure that you guys have as much information and it's as straightforward as possible um, for you guys going through. Again, uh, our sponsor or the people that help us out, Everly Stock, uh, make sure you check them out. Use ones ready. We're not getting any money from them at all, uh, but they have great products, and we want to support people that are veterans and support the military community and support ones ready specifically. And also, I want to say thank you to Balls Four. They just graduated pre dive uh, about a month ago, and they gave me this shirt. Nice. So it's pretty sweet. Oh hey. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I've got some new workout threads. T-shirt. Look at that swag. Um. So, yeah, and we got some more shirts going to be coming out real soon. You guys should check out the onesready.com. We have a couple more of the gray men that are left right now. All the uh, Earn Each Breath flags were gone real soon. So we'll uh, keep an eye out for the next time we drop some of those. And as always, we're here for you guys. So if you have anything, any questions at any time, just hit us up on Instagram at onesready or at info at onesready. You can email us there and we'll answer your questions as soon as we get a couple days, you know, uh, Peach actually answers most of them. I'll just give him credit <laughs> on that one. Um, so thanks again for listening, guys. Truth. I appreciate you and all your support. Go out there, keep on earning each breath and go get some. Light up. Light up. Train hard.